This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. It will be another busy week on the mayoral campaign. And maybe, not that we go in themes, but maybe one debate that will cut to the forefront a little bit more. Now that the weather is borderline brilliant and everybody was everywhere this weekend in Toronto and all that without the Blue Jays here and all that without a big festival happening, um, is the concept of encampment areas in parks and it got brought to the attention on a couple different levels this weekend including from brian Lilly in the toronto sun that um the city is at its wits end figuring out what to do with well what's described in the story as a tent city allen gardens is a major downtown park if you, just in case just in case you don't know exactly where allen garden is this is gerard street east this is you got a you, big dog park there. It, there's a conservatory as well. Like the conservatory is easy to spot if you walk past. I've biked past it before, and there's six greenhouses. So it's really it's a it's a really pretty area of Toronto, and you can feel the history. Some parks kind of spring up, and you're like, okay, this was <laughs> built in the last eight years, and they just laid the sod down maybe a half decade ago, and they had to change it. This has history to it. And the problem right now with Allen Gardens is residents think, well, I want to live near Allen Gardens because of this and that and the other thing. And they didn't plan to live there and see, like, I don't think it's hundreds, but it probably is a hundred tents in the city, in the, in the park, I should say, right behind the, right behind the conservatory, um, beside a fenced in playground for kids, tents. And listen, there's that debate to have. Are they really bothering your kid if they're playing? Isn't the point. Um, Are you in danger or a threat from anybody staying in the tent? Also not the point. If anything, the people in the tents are in danger. Absolutely they are. Who's kidding who? Um, But residents are frustrated by this. And Councillor Chris Moyes, who, by the way, um, has endorsed Adam Bailao for uh, mayor of Toronto on June 26th when we all go and vote, is really frustrated. He says the park isn't safe for anybody right now. Here's the quote. And this is a new counselor. This is somebody that isn't an old schooler. This is somebody that was meant to be fresh perspective, fresh ideas, bring into the city of Toronto. And and one of the reasons that people, I think, were revitalized, at least by the council, even if you were mixed on John Tory being back as mayor and it not being much of a mayoral race last time out, Chris Moyes was one of those voices like Alejandro Bravo, um, Osma Malik, that they were going to give uh, a lot of new ch- championing to their their areas. Here's Moise's quote. This public park has become a private party grounds with music blaring, regular campfires and rampant open drug dealing day and night. There have been sexual assaults, stabbings and overdoses happening regularly. Residents have reported to me they've witnessed and experienced racist, sexist and homophobic verbal attacks, intimidation, as well as aggressive and violent behavior, including physical assault. This is a rookie counselor. It's been on the job eight months, nine months. He's tapped out and yet still has to do for his area. The He has to make those hard calls. You want to get into politics, get ready to make hard decisions. Get ready to say things that, that you're going to get attacked on by 40% of the other people. So this is a big issue today. We're going to talk to Mark Saunders about encampments. 
Um, he's got an announcement he's making, and we'll hold that um, and, and talk to him at 645 about it. By the way, speaking of encampments, one of the last things while he was mayor, John Tory said about it, was after a propane explosion under the Gardner Expressway in the winter. Remember, different story in the winter. You sleep outside, you often die. It's that cold here in Toronto. This isn't San Francisco or Portland or Seattle. Here's what Tory said. Well, it's a combination. Our work as a city is mostly to persuade people, and we make thousands, literally thousands of visits to the encampments to persuade people who often need quite a bit of persuasion based on their circumstances or their own experience with homelessness uh, to come inside to have uh, some of the options that we have available for indoor housing. And we have been moving people every single week, all week. But in the end, it's a shared responsibility between the fire service who have to look for fire safety, uh, the police service who have to look for uh, you know, the laws, including bylaw inspectors, and also uh, uh, the city Itself, which makes probably the biggest effort through our streets to homes outreach workers who are there all the time. So that was late. That was late January, about two weeks before Tory resigned. It's a critical part. It should be a critical part of how you vote. It should be a critical part of each uh, each main candidate's platform. I think I know where Anthony Fury stands on it. I think I know where Olivia Chow stands on it. Although I'd like clarity on that policy from her, amongst others. We'll get Mark Saunders' clarification coming up in just a little bit. Jason Chapman's producing the show today in for Shiba Siddiqui for the next couple of days. And as I said, it, I, I think when I read Chris Moyes' quote, that th- those are the words, Jason, of a veteran counselor, somebody with, with 15, 20 years. That might be, if I said, is this Stephen Holiday or is this is this Chris Moyes? Is this uh, a, a you know a, a veteran counselor who's done it for two decades? This is a guy that's been on the job eight months, and he's like, enough. Our residents can't take it anymore. Yeah, listen, I have so many thoughts on this. I uh, mm-hmm. frequently walk and bike by Allen Gardens. So um, has anybody walked up Sherburne Street lately? Um, has anybody walked Shooter? Has anybody walked Dundas? Has anybody walked Gerard? Greg, I understand that tent encampments aren't the solution. They're not. Hear me loudly and clearly when I say tent encampments are atrocious and an affront to everything that we should be in Toronto. Um, but that entire stretch of, of road is filled with people who cannot get into the shelters that line those streets. So right now, people aren't living in our subway stations because it's warm outside. Yeah. Listen, that entire stretch of the city is utterly broken. And all of the things that Chris Moyes, the councillor, said, go on. Go on whether those tents are in that park or not. The other thing I have to say about Allen Gardens, it's massive. It's a massive park in downtown. And the tents are very close to Sherborne. I don't know if Brian Lilly, and I like Brian Lilly enough from the Toronto Sun who wrote about it, but the park shouldn't have tents in it. I think he'd agree with you. What's this? But what's the solution? I need a solution. Yeah. Because ultimately, people have pitched some tents there because that's where they're going to sleep while it's warm outside, and then they're going to go back into the subway stations when it's not warm outside. So, can I actually throw? a really big piece of support for Olivia Chow out there. Um, Olivia Chow, the real, the only real thing I've heard Olivia Chow say in the campaign is building out the 211 social services hotline. So she wants, instead of yeah. people calling 911, for people to call 211 if they see somebody who is in distress, suffering from mental illness, and hopefully you get the right people out there. Um, it doesn't get rid of the tents. But I don't know why people are freaking out over the tents when there's stuff to freak out about in that neighborhood all the time. And we know we need more shelter space. And yet we just 
freak out over. Is that move though? Is that move with with Chow and two one one? If she legalizes, decriminalizes all drugs like they've done in Vancouver, does that sort of is that two wrongs don't make like is is that does that sort of cancel out the benefit of? I think they. uh, Well, I'm I'm okay decriminalizing drugs, ladies and gentlemen. They're in our cities. They're there. Criminalizing it doesn't stop. Extra resources and and actual care does great. I, listen, um, I would not take my kids to Allen Gardens to play, <clears throat> and I don't live in the direct neighborhood. And not yeah. many people do with kids live in that exact neighborhood. Um, but anyways, that, that's a I problem. Know. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. Six forty. Toronto. Twenty eight days from tonight will be the Toronto mayoral by-election, and naturally, it's a, a good chunk of our coverage. And this is the tricky part. Uh, Jason Chapman's with, with me uh, producing the show this morning for Shiba Siddiqui, is I don't look at, I, I know polls, when I see an undecided, and we were right here like four or five weeks ago, where 35% are undecided and 32% are undecided, and there's a plus-minus uh, margin error of 3 to 4%. You can't get much from that. I think only in the last week or so, we're starting to see momentum gained by some candidates, uh, momentum lost by some candidates, but the one consistent seems to be, um, and this is why the debates are taking on, the tone they're taking is right now Olivia Chow is is the horse to catch. She's uh, sitting with a liaison strategy poll of 30%. Now, I don't know whether people get, do you get together with your friends, have a have a craft beer, and you're like, you know, I prefer Main Street for my polling, but if you want to go with liaison, like, I don't I don't know yeah, that I, we rank the polling companies I here. Stand. I can't, you know, I don't want to go off on this for more than 20 seconds. <laughs> Enough with the polls. Enough with the polls. Yes, Olivia Chow is out in front, and why? Because she's the NDP's candidate, and the NDP are incredibly organized in this town. They've, they've got behind Olivia Chow, so it, polls can we talk policy pretty, pretty please? Um, uh, Olivia, Ch- you know, actually, Greg, I wish that candidates had to run under a political banner at the municipal level because I actually think it's unfair to ask, not unfair, that's that's too far. It would be helpful if candidates declared I'm an NDP or a liberal or a conservative because at least then voters would have a base to start with, to know, okay, this person probably believes X, Y, and Z. Like the states. You got a Democratic mayor. So you'd have to have runoffs within the parties themselves. Because maybe five candidates that are still in the hunt now would be the liberal candidate. Or three candidates would be the Ontario PC candidate. Right. So anyway, so yeah, Olivia's in first place because the NDP picked her as the candidate. I'm not even sure she really wants to be in this race, but here she is. Um, And so, okay, the latest poll says blank. Um, but you know, it was Brad Bradford over the weekend that I think we should be talking about the most because I, can I tell you, Brad Bradford is my local counselor in the East side of Toronto here. Brad is a very good city counselor. He reads his reports. He's active in the community. He's at every local event we go to. And that's what I want out of my city council. I want somebody who's engaged in my community and who reads reports. They're they're well prepped and you can find them when you need them. Both that's those right. things. But he had an awful weekend. He had an absolute awful Well he got weekend. some sun. I don't know about that. If you get some <laughs> vitamin D in your life. He didn't get park. sun under the gardener, but he got sun at the park. So he made two. You don't know the sunroof could have right? been open, yeah, and uh, and it's just under the gardener. You in don't a bit. get sun, guy. Trust me. It doesn't matter how much the <laughs> like. So we have to set this up for the listeners because I don't know if they saw it or not. But he makes two videos. One 
in a park. Do you want to talk about that one? Let's do the park video first. Trinity Bellwoods, right? Yeah. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. Okay. So this is uh, about 20 seconds of uh, Brad Bradford. And, and the concept is we should be able to uh, have a, a an alcoholic beverage in the parks. Now, there's a lot of layers to that. Based on how he voted on that, and, and he was on our show actually talking about it last year, but here's some of the video. It's a beautiful day in Toronto, so we decided to take the campaign team meeting outside to Trinity Bellwoods Park. We're having some patties and some tall cans of less talk, more action. When I am elected your mayor, I will make sure that you can legally, responsibly enjoy some refreshments in our city parks within the first 100 days. Hey, cheers, guys. Cheers. Yeah. <sighs> Delicious. By the way, is that a new brand of beer? Let's talk. Can I go to the LCBO and get like, you know, six Sleeman and, no. and, and six export and labels. six let's ta- talk more at let's talk more action. Can I is that a brand? <laughs> no, I'll take it. Can I get the breaking brews at the same time? Doug uh, Ford can print up some labels for any beer uh, that you want. Oh, like, OK. So he's drinking a beer in a park with his team. Maybe there's not beer in the can, but it looks like there's beer in the can. Um, and that's currently stupidly not legal in the city. And twice in the past year, Brad Bradford has voted against piloting legal drinks in the park. What are you, and he's eating a patty. Well, that's not okay. But yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that, that's more immaterial. You're making, what, is your point, he's doing something A, that he voted against, or B, he's doing something that's actually right now supposed to be enforced by bylaw officers we know it won't be we know it isn't i'd be shocked if we could find a human being you can text us if you've ever been given a warning not to drink a glass of wine in a park um 416-870-6400 there are two famous bits of audio that we used on our show jason one was the former mayor tory saying well what we can't have is guys with uh you know carrying two two fours on their shoulders into the park and we're thinking a that's a strong human being if you can do that with full <laughs> bottles and b no one does this um, and and the second part is just the the concept of uh, of Brad Bradford kind of said, well, you know, we want to we want we want to look at whether we can do this, but don't be a dirtbag. He, that's he, right. That, that's the famous that's right. don't be a dirtbag. Don't line. be a dirtbag about drinking in the park. Right. Do it, but don't do it. I, yeah, I, the answer is yes to both of your questions. He's a hypocrite, um, and also <laughs> he is breaking the law that he chose not to pilot. Anyways, uh, so. Uh, he also had a patty in his hand, and when he launched the campaign, he made this video of him eating a Jamaican patty that we all buy in the subway stations, and he looked awful doing it, and he didn't. He obviously doesn't understand how poorly that video landed, and he went back to the patty. And then he made, and I want to respect the time here, and we can talk about Brad Bradford. We got, to, we got a minute. We got a minute and a half. Yeah, yeah. All right. And then he makes a second video. We won't play the audio here. We'll play it later. But of him under the gardener, on the lakeshore talking about how awful the traffic is in the city and somebody else is recording him making this video but frequently with his hands on the steering wheel he turns and speaks to the camera while not paying attention while driving and i get it it's slow if you're in the lakeshore ever trying to get westbound onto the garter you know it's an hour and a half to get on there the point is that actually is breaking the law is it That's not no, but i was gonna ask it is, is it not, really it's murky it is he's it's not murky. holding the phone you and I, I could be in the car and I could turn to you and look at you and go, bad traffic, on. Huh? We could make eye contact and you could be recording me. 
I'm breaking the law by doing he's, that? He's on purpose making a video here. So there's a slight difference on that. Well, and I wouldn't think th- you'd be recording me I accidentally can... if we're driving under the so, under the gardener together. I don't no, know if he it's decided illegal. to get behind the wheel and make a video and have somebody record him. Not accident. The point is, is as I read through the laws, absolutely police could, not necessarily would, but could ticket you for distracted driving. The the law is very murky around selfie videos. Like you can mount your camera yeah. onto your dash and record a video, but you could also chance a ticket from the police. But I thought they were both bad looks. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. The weather and I think the time of year has certainly uh, changed the lens of how we're talking about uh, homeless encampments. There's no question about that. Um, I, I think it's the one thing I want to hear more from on the debate stage. I think we're getting a, a sense as to where candidates are with housing, where they are with transit, where they are with bike lanes. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, Josh Matlow, okay, says he will not clear any encampments. His quote, as mayor, I will implement a moratorium on encampment clearings and I'm on the record supporting this. No one's first choice was ever to sleep in a tent. That last sentence has some element of truth to it, but when the weather gets better, it becomes a preferred option, it seems, compared to shelters, compared to going somewhere with treatment. And we all know that the province absolutely, totally can do more and needs to do more with providing sort of that that middle ground of places to go. You kick somebody out of your own household because they're using drugs or stealing from you or they're violent or whatnot. Um, there aren't many other places to go if they can't afford to pay the rent. There is that. So what do we do? And we just saw Chris Moyes, really strong words uh, for his uh, ward in Allen Gardens. And it was written about over the weekend. Mark Saunders is former Toronto police chief and mayoral candidate. And he has an announcement today based on what will uh, what what his policy will be with regard to encampments. Mark, good morning. Thanks for coming on the show as always good morning how's it going i'm i'm good this uh i think this is rearing its head more i think the weather has gotten better that's that's actually a good thing not a bad thing um and at the same time i think we're having more nuanced and and even if they are uncomfortable conversations about what we do there's no easy solution but you have a solution when it comes to encampments yeah, no, a- absolutely. And first off, again, this is this is caused by government not taking the action that should have been happening for years. And uh, so it's built up. But when we talk about homeless, we can't just put everything in one pile. You know, we've got mental health, we've got addiction, uh, economic hardship, PTSD, and a host of others, too. So uh, my plan basically takes everything into strands and, and make sure that we identify exactly what we need to deal with and, and who we're dealing with. But first off, the, the encampments cannot stay. They simply cannot. We've had hundreds of fires that have happened. We're having people dying under those situations. And to normalize it is the worst thing that we could do. Uh, we need to build. But in the meantime, we, we have to have, you know, the, the wraparound entities that have the available resources working in conjunction with, with helping dealing with the issues that, that these people may be living with. When someone you like yourself brings up wraparound services, explain to the audience what they are and how somebody would benefit from them. What are they? How can people use them? Great, thanks. So what we're talking about is uh, temporary locations, and, and we know that there are lots of locations right now just due to the circumstance of, of everything uh, where there are city buildings that are empty, but it's wraparound. And what it, what it is, it will include staff and resources 
uh, people that can help with the various issues that, that people are living with within those homeless uh, uh, environments, the most encampments. So, for example, if you take someone who has just lost their house, lost their job, and they're homeless, we have resources that will have a quicker transition to get them back up on their feet again and moving back out into our communities. But, you know, if, if they are suffering from addiction or if, if they're have, uh, living with mental health, we also have to identify who they are and, and ensure that we have the right support entities to, to help get them back and, and up and running again. But uh, the more we just take that bulldozer mentality, uh, they pop up again. But, but make no mistake, the, the encampments are, will not be staying. It's just the quality of life, uh, the criminal activity that has been there. Uh, people that are living with mental health are, are in dire straits that are in, in those environments as well. And we have to have more dignity with, with, uh, with everything and not just leave them in, in encampments. Mark Saunders joining us on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. If I'm in a tent in Allen Gardens and you evict me from that tent, What's to stop me from taking that tent and going somewhere else? Well, that's the thing. We're talking about a number one supply and and the fact that um, um, there isn't enough affordable uh, housing built. But B, the the other end of it, too, what we have to really take into consideration is that a lot of these folks do not trust in government entities. So there has to be rapport built with a lot of people where we have the same resources dealing with and navigating through those neighborhoods to really uh, develop relationships, but also identify what the issues are. And then having mobile crisis teams working in conjunction with them too for that very cause. And the more we can get that relationship piece going, the easier it is to transition into the wraparound entities and then eventually into the proper resourcing and supports that are going to be necessary for better outcomes. But just knocking it down, They'll just build up somewhere else. That's, sure. They will. Um, you were in police chief um, in July of 2021 when there was quite um, a clear out of a homeless encampment at Lamport Stadium Park. Twenty six people were arrested. It was deemed the city spent two million dollars. There were certainly there were protesters that showed up, I think, peacefully. There were protesters that showed up looking for a battle. And I did talk to police. There were police anonymously who would text the show or, or one that I know specifically. And they're like, it got excessive. It it got it got a little wild. And, and, and we and they saw colleagues do things they wish they hadn't done. How do we prevent moments like that? That How did you view that when you watched that on your television or heard reports of it in uh, July two summers ago? Well, first off, it, it, it's really hard for me to critique law enforcement and make it such an easy call. You have to understand what the intelligence is and what the circumstances are that they're dealing with. So, for example, Craig, let's say that they're there and they've received information that people have edge weapons or other types of weapons. And inside those tents, you don't know what's going on until you open those tents up. So, you know, what information do they have? And what did, when did they know it and how did they deal with it? All of those factors. But the big picture is if law enforcement is dealing with encampments, it is a failure of government for creating that circumstance to happen to begin with. And with those agencies that have not been resourced to have people reach the point that they're at where they're in encampments, living with mental health, living with PTSD and all those other things. It speaks to these social frailties and and things that have not happened that government should have supplied. So it's a no-win situation for everyone across the board. It is is not good, Uh, but but we have to take the right approach, and that's where effective leadership comes in. Mark Saunders is our guest. Um, So, okay, you're emphasizing the removal of encampments. 
And and I still think I think you're admitting it's a real struggle to prevent how they set up in the first place. And I know there's sort of a long game to play here. But if someone said, give me something in the next year, give me something in the next 18 months that has a compassionate approach, but a firm approach. And that also, to your point, takes into consideration somebody wanting to walk their dog through there. Somebody wanted to take their six year old to play on the climber and sort of walk around these blue tents. What do we tell those people? Well, to tell those people that we are going to be removing those encampments, this is not going to be an excessively long game, but it is going to be the right game. And, you know, and I speak about the people and that are living in encampments and, and, and some of the causes. There's also a criminal uh, environment in there as well, too. So we're talking about causes of sexual assaults. Uh, you know, uh, the nudity, nudity and all kinds of different things that are going on within those neighborhoods. So there is criminal activity as well. All is not well. And the communities are definitely suffering the hardships. But parks were not designed for encampments. They do have to go. Uh, the how is always the question. And, and this is, again, where the experience comes in uh, to ensure that there is a reduction of them and they don't pop up again uh, as quick as they come down. Mark Saunders, our guest on Toronto Today. I know there's there's um, you're an advocate of of some waiving of some tuition fees for students. The province is looking into doing this certainly for engineering students, and and now we're getting a bit of a, a chorus about should we do this for nurses? Should we do this even for people to go to teachers' college? It, 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 if if there's not a clear strategy to cover these costs and make sure job placements there for people after graduation do do we look and say waiving tuition fees means there's a financial burden for the rest of us like for for budget wise well i i think we have to look at the greater picture and the causation of this you know my plan speaks to having outward facing resources so that we can catch these people very early and if we can catch very early it's a quicker and easier transition to get people back out into uh, you know, having a, a decent uh, lifestyle. So uh, by putting these incentives in, I'm, I'm going to suggest that it's cost effective because what's going on now, quality of life, we've got these needles all over the place. We've got, you know, just the quality is is, is not good. And uh, there are things that people are seeing that they should not be seeing as families. Uh, we need to restore our parks back to the state and um, it has to be done properly. I'm going to ask you about the the sort of lens you have, a little bit of rearview mirror stuff while you were police chief. You certainly have, and, and I think one of the things that people applaud you for is when you call out current members of city council or former city council and you say they had their opportunity, they had a window of time, they still have that window of time, and they didn't deliver results. Can someone come back to you and say, can you look in the mirror and say, could you have done more about the encampments, more about the situation while you were police chief? Do you because I, I think that's a human lens into you. It, it might make someone vote for you if you said, I wish I'd pushed harder on this. I wished I'd fought harder for that. We all have those professional moments. Do you have those as well? <clears throat> no, because I, I, I stated this, Greg, if anyone followed my journey, Time after time, when I kept saying we cannot arrest our way out of this, when you only have one tool to deal with this, and it's not the right tool, this is a health issue, this is a social issue that turns into criminality. Being mayor, you have access to all of the tools. I know how to use those tools properly in conjunction with law enforcement to make sure it is the best environment created so that we can enhance quality of life, Mm. but doing it right. And the others have failed. And and I'm Mm. hearing what they're going to do. The reality is they should have done it. 
So I, I don't agree with the fact that they're just waving a wand and saying, uh, nothing to look at here. Let's move on. They got everything to look at. They have failed miserably. They should have done it. But I know they're pointing at you and saying when it comes to crime, when it comes to safety, not many people had more influence than you did. Is that fair? Uh, no, crime, crime and safety and budget and resources. And, and don't mm. forget the Toronto Police was a city agency. And in Toronto's history, they've never had a zero budget. Uh, I had to deal with a a 0% budget twice. And again, you have to work in conjunction. The officers are highly trained for answering those calls and dealing with the criminal entity as well as the social, but they should not be the lead for the social pieces that are out there in the city right now. Mark, I got a blast. Thanks for this time this morning, and we'll talk soon. Great talking to you. Take care. Mark Saunders joining us on Toronto Today. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Our next guest uh, joins us now. He's running for mayor. Wants your vote four weeks from tonight. And um, and we want to talk to him about the videos. He knows these videos have gotten a lot of attention. So Brad Bradford joins us right now on Toronto Today. It's great to have you back on as always. Good to be here, Greg. 260,000 people have watched you. I think they think you're a good driver. Um, as far as we know, your, your demerit points aren't, uh, aren't piling up um, by the uh, Highway Safety Act or anything. Uh, you made a video while driving talking about uh, construction and congestion on the lakeshore. Um, why do you think people are criticizing it? You know, there's always lots of criticism on online and in Twitter and that's fine but I think uh, the message is an important one and that it's it's never been harder to get around Toronto it's never been harder to get across this city and uh, you know I was I was riffing on a, an article in the Toronto Star over the weekend that just was talking about East Enders seeing red with all of the congestion on Lakeshore mm. and so you know I, I take that route uh, on a regular basis and I hear people's frustration and that's why I'm running for mayor. I want to make it easier to get around the city. So when it comes to social media, and just for the listeners who haven't seen the video, they can check it out on my social media. But, uh, you know, to be clear, I'm not holding the, uh, the phone or the camera or anything. I'm not breaking any laws at all. Uh, I'm just having a conversation while we're crawling down Lakeshore. And I'm talking about the, uh, the steps I'm going to take as mayor to address congestion in the city, which has never been worse. Yeah, I, I think if people saw you uh, gunning, gunning it down the DVP at 125 kilometers and you're holding your own phone, then I think it gets into the area of not just illegality, but but recklessness. But you're making the point um, that you're driving while speaking to somebody. Some people have said, well, he's glancing over. And I'm like, I have glance over all the time at my wife or my kid in the front seat or, or you know, press a button to answer a phone call or whatever. But you check your blind spots. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You're going about eight kilometers uh, an hour. I, I want to know why you think this would have happened, obviously, while you were counselor. Why did the, rem- the ramp from the lakeshore to the gardener, it feels like it may have been removed prematurely. Could that case be made that, that it should have been up there longer or should still even be up now? Well, I can tell you, residents here in the East End would feel that way. And certainly if Olivia Chow is elected mayor, uh, gridlock in this city is going to get a lot worse. She is actually campaigning on not rebuilding the gardener. And, and you know, that the thrust of that video was reminding no. folks, look, this is one of the busiest trucking corridors in North America. Rochester, Buffalo, Toronto, Montreal, uh, those goods have to move. And they connect right from the gardener uh, across the bottom of the city up to the GVP and the 401. So the ramp, as it's down now, uh, is not an ideal situation. We have to rebuild that infrastructure. You know with the gardener, uh, there's been lots of stories over the years of 
of literally crumbling infrastructure and pieces of that thing falling down. So for safety, it needed to it needed to come down, but it needs to be rebuilt. And as mayor, I will do that two years faster by running 24-7 construction so that we get more people on site, more shovels in the ground. But you and, must have uh, you must have heard from people who voted for you both times, maybe, that said, I need this to get to work. I need this to get from point A to B. And and could you have done any more with regard to keeping um, keeping the ramp where it was? I mean, you're an East End counselor, so this is the, this is the yeah. bread and butter, the meat and potatoes of your residents to get downtown, isn't it? I can tell you in the 2022 campaign, the one that we just had, this was probably the number one issue I heard at the doors south of Girard, and that's that's about half of my riding. Uh, it is very top of mind for people, and it's been very frustrating. If you go back to the original decision, uh, that was in 2015, uh, so quite a few years before I got there. But the point remains, this is a huge frustration point for people here in Toronto, and emblematic of, of a city hall that's disconnected from people's everyday lives. I feel like, you know, politicians have been waving the white flag on congestion and they just sort of say, hey, well, deal with it. You know, as mayor, I will be dealing with it. I will be taking the issue very seriously and, you know, appointing a congestion relief commissioner to coordinate these activities. 200 parking enforcement officers mm. in intersections to get the traffic flowing during rush hour. Rebuilding the gardener 24-7 so we get it done two years faster. Um, but look, there are, there are candidates in this race that want to revisit a decision from 2015, and they want to hit they want to hit stop on this and and take an elevated highway and bring it down to grade. And I just oh. think you know where are those trucks going to go? They're going to go right through the neighborhood, and uh, congestion mm. in the city will be even worse. All right, I only got two and a half minutes. Um, you made a, a video of you uh, about legal drinking in the parks. You voted against this last year. It's obvious you've changed your mind about how you would have voted last year what's what's allowed your opinion to evolve on this issue well i think actually uh, i think it was your show greg i came on and said that i've had a couple pops in the park before and uh, that's not <laughs> uncommon and it's uh, and at the time even people were uh, kind of losing their minds about that but uh it's because this is something that thousands of torontonians responsibly engage in but you voted yeah, against I, it last summer you, like we, that's yeah, on the record no, you voted sure. against it so, that's right. And, and I believe the vote was 18 to 2. And for any astute City Hall observers, you know, 18 to 2 is, a, is not a good vote uh, if you're trying to move something. And that's because the councillor who was bringing it forward walked it onto the floor, had a lot of specifics about alcohol uh, volume, the number of milliliters, the types of spirits. It was half-baked. It wasn't thought through. And that's pretty typical of that councillor. And that's why you saw folks from across the spectrum voting against it. But in principle, the idea of being able to have a, a, a refreshment in the park done so in a responsible way, I've, I've always been for that. And in fact, actually, just last month, we voted for this at council. So, you know, it's the context of council discussions. Um, but now we have a plan in place and staff have, have indicated this is how we're going to do it. And I want the voters to know I, I support it. And in fact, uh, you know, I will have a refreshment in the park, just like thousands of other Torontonians. And I love it. We got a lot of summer left. I'm going to get that done faster and make sure that everyone, uh, you know, that doesn't have access to a backyard can can go outside and responsibly enjoy a beverage in our beautiful parks. What would make a bylaw officer go to somebody drinking in a park and say you're breaking the law? I suspect it would probably be, uh, you know, behavior that is disorderly, uh, you know, somebody that's littering, somebody that's, uh, you know, not being a good neighbor. But the vast 
vast majority of people are responsible adults and uh, and do this in a way that that's not bothering everyone. So I think that's kind of the point, you know, is it a is it a solution in search of a problem? Um, this, uh, this is something that we need to bring forward. We, you know, a lot of other cities in Canada do this already. Toronto is always tepid. We're always, uh, slow to get going on these things. And that's where part of my frustration comes from is it's time for less talk, more action. I've never had more clarity around the mission and, um, these things I think will be good. It'll be a positive thing. So I got 40 seconds. Josh Madlow's that counselor you're referencing. I, I hear he's running right. for mayor also. Um, and he asked for this to happen just a couple weeks ago. How did you vote a couple weeks ago um, in, in terms of a pilot project to even do this the rest of the summer? I voted in support of it. And so there you go. Like everyone on Twitter is having a meltdown as they do. Uh, about votes from you know years ago, but well, it's uh, it's one year ago. Come on, it's not years ago. Right. It's just it's like eleven sure. months ago, right? Yeah, yeah. And and again, as I said, it was it was the way it was brought forward. Uh, I don't think Josh Matlow should be telling people that ABV. I don't think Josh Matlow should be telling people how many milliliters for what types of spirits. Um, you know, it's uh, mm. that's that's okay. a decision that needs to be thought through, and that's why that vote failed eighteen. Yeah. Years ago. Um, across the board. So, you know, but again, mm. last month at council, um, uh, there was a lot of support for it. And you can put me on that side of the ledger too. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm just making it clear in the mayoral campaign. That's where I'm at. That's what you're voting for. And uh, uh, we're going to make that happen uh, here in Toronto. Okay, Brad, I got a roll. Thanks for the time this morning. You bet. See you, Greg. Brad, Brad for joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Some of you like me, um, a local sports volunteer. I've been uh, managing, um, to put it loosely, my uh, kids' soccer team now for the last, I think this is the, f- the fifth year. Every year I say I'm going to stop, and every year I look around and say um, nobody's exactly wanting a by-election to take uh, my job from me. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging them to try, but I, it hasn't happened yet, so I keep going. And some people, I think, feel that way about it. It's a, it's a short period of time. People who volunteer for youth sports. My dad did this forever, coached all the high school teams. I have so many teacher friends. And I'm more friends with teachers who do coach and volunteer than those that do not. So it's important. So you can imagine consternation is the word when I see a story on Friday that says Ontario may have to turn to body cameras to help save youth soccer referees. I'll give you the numbers really quick about... How many have walked away from doing this? Now, I don't know the absolute percentage of how many are quitting because they're getting abused, but it's listed as the number one reason. 8,313 soccer referees registered in Ontario um, in 2019. Just under 5,000. So that's not half, but they've lost about 40% of their referees. And to be the good news is more kids are playing soccer than ever before and less people are wanting to referee it. So there has to be something going on here. Uh, Johnny Misley is joining us, who we've had on the show before, um, and the chief executive of Ontario Soccer. Johnny, it's great to have you on. Thanks for coming on Toronto Today. My pleasure. Good morning, Greg, and thanks for your volunteer work in the game. Oh, well, you know, we're losing more than winning right now, but I'm going to I'm gonna turn it out. It just put a bug in the coach's ear. The manager has, is supposed to be seen and not heard, right? You know, you just make sure nobody leaves their water bottle behind. But when they're 15... Uh, you know, it, it's uh, more headaches than it's worth, but I love it. I love every second of it. The, when did this genesis of this idea come to you and you go, maybe we could do this to deter and record abuse? Well, we noticed uh, in the middle of last year, we noticed a discouraging trend of a decrease of uh, referees or match officials, as we call them in the game. And we started to look at um, some surveys that we completed of why referees are leaving the game. And uh, the number one reason 
by far was because of referee abuse, and that matched up with previous surveys that we've done five, six years ago. So that then led us to um, talk to some of our, our brothers and sisters in other sports and found out they were finding the same trend. Uh, so we decided to, um, you know, take it upon ourselves as a sport that's um, a high-participation sport. Um, it's the you know, most played sport uh, around the world, the most visible, to take a leadership role on this and, uh, and go beyond just putting up signs at, uh, at um, football fields saying, you know, uh, no ref, no game, please behave, and all that kind of stuff, and take it one step further. So we've got two or three tactical things that we're starting this summer and, and into next year, and we're going to spend a couple years through a pilot project that our board recently approved, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing how it's going to work. Sometimes at our games, we have a 15-year-old kid, um, so they're, they're U15 and uh, I model, which you would know and I would know, and maybe a few of our listeners would know the level, so it's a decent level. Um, sometimes we have 22-year-old officials. Sometimes we have 52-year-old officials. What's the main demographic of your registered soccer referees? Yeah, about 53, 54% of our officials are, um, are children under the age of uh, 18, so when you think about that, um, and that's our future as well, because those are the ones that uh, that officiate hopefully right through to the um, their adult years. Um, that's a critical cohort for us, and one that um, through these initiatives that we're doing are trying to protect them, uh, more importantly, and also protect the integrity of the game, and to also make a statement that we're taking a zero tolerance approach to this. You probably don't don't. Um put younger officials now I, I i umpired one year not because i and i didn't stop because i hated it. it just got too busy the next summer but i'm 15 and i'm umpiring like 19 and 20 year olds playing calling balls and strikes i was pretty intimidated i felt intimidated for sure you probably don't love that matchup you probably get older referees right to do younger kids games and match it up that way no question, and uh, and number the two reason why match officials leave the game is because they don't have local support. You know they're trained, and then they get thrown at the wolves, if you will. And we've worked very hard through programs like long term uh, officials development initiatives that we provide the mentorship, uh, and our clubs do a great job at this, providing uh, referee support at the local level, so that when games are assigned, we try to match them up when there's a developing referee with an older, experienced referee in a mentorship type role. And uh, if it's not in the, on, on the field, it'll be someone on the sidelines watching, providing that guidance. And that's very important because you think about the players themselves and what they get from coaches. The referees aren't any different. They're athletes as well. They have hopes and dreams, and they have to remain fit. And as a result, they also need their coach, if you will, helping them. So who would pay for the – how do you uh, handle the cost of the body cameras? Well, that's why we're doing a pilot project. Um, you know, when we're looking at different tactics to try to deal with this, one of the things we thought about was visual deterrence. And um, we had a lot of uh, volunteers like yourself uh, come from different walks of life. We had some that are uh, active or retired police officers. So we quickly did some research and looked into that industry and what they were doing with their body cams. And from there, we led to the idea, could we do this? And then we found out through some research that over in England, the, uh, the FA is doing a a program right now looking at adult um, men's soccer leagues in the UK. So we reached out, uh, talked to the vendor that's working with them, and we said, hey, you know what, um, perhaps we could team up here and do a pilot project together. You focus on the adult levels, we focus on the, um, the younger age levels. And, uh, and so we're going to be doing this and launching that uh, this summer, along with a couple other initiatives that we're doing as well. But the cost, who, who, where does that, like, it's going to cost money. How, like, what, what do you sort of oh, estimate sure, yeah. some of the dollars and cents here? 
yeah, Greg, no question that uh, the number one factor in this is going to be the cost. These cams are not cheap. The maintenance of them, the, uh, the storage of data, those types of things. And these are, this is why we're doing a test to assess all this and see where that goes. And in working with the, uh, the company that we're working with, um, they're being very generous knowing that this is a pilot project. So okay. uh, it's going to be definitely going to be affordable for us to be able to pull this off. Because I'm sure you'll hear from parents who go, I don't want my fees. It's expensive enough. You lose really good kids, really good players, really dedicated players and families because of costs at a certain point in time. So I know you don't want this getting pushed well, into their fees by the local associations. And we want those same parents to be able to not tolerate the friends that are sitting next to them, shoulder length away, uh, verbally abusing <laughs> and sometimes physically abusing a referee and making the game more expensive as well. Do you worry at all that a parent will say, "I, my, like I, we've got a, a teammate of, of my son's who's 15 who's starting to referee this year. I don't know how they personally feel about it, but do you worry there will be a sm- even a small percentage of parents that say, I don't want the complexities of, of my, of my you know, someone who's not old enough to drive wearing a body camera and then having his, how he refereed a game or how he interacted with a player or a, or a, or a parent sort of analyzed and, and looked at. They may not want that. Uh, certainly, uh, that could be a perception or a behavior or a thought uh, of people in this. And we look at it as, we have about three different initiatives that we're doing. This is one of them. And um, mm-hmm. we're just hoping, again, that we're trying to attack, in this case, with the body cam as a visual deterrence. Um, it, first off, it's sad that we have to put a body cam in a pilot project on a referee in general, mm-hmm. given where our society is today. That's the sad part. But um, we can't sit by and say that, well, that's just human nature and behavior. So we're stepping up here to try to change a culture. And we're going beyond sign, you know, field signage um, yeah. or fancy slogans and campaigns like our No Ref, No Game campaign. That's great. It's, you know, it's a visual or an, a, a, a um, deterrence of, of, of its sort. But we're trying to get deeper in this, including zero tolerance on discipline. Um, you know, we got some incidents here where a 16-year-old girl uh, in the parking lot, a referee, got physically assaulted after a game. We've got a player in the adult recreational category, got a red card in the game late last year, got tossed out of the game, went to his car, took a machete out of his, out of his, um, out of his vehicle, his trunk of his vehicle, and chased the referee around the field. This <sighs> stuff has gone to a level of craziness that we just cannot sit back and say, well, that's just societal behavior. We've been in, in the pandemic the last couple of years, and people can't, no, we got to hit this hard, and that's what we're going to do to protect mm. the referees and, more importantly, protect them, but also protect the game itself. No, that's no good. I, I got one last one. We're speaking with Johnny Misley, uh, Ontario Soccer Chief Executive. Uh, I've My kids probably played 260 games I've been at. I've seen three incidents handled so well by the referee where there's verbal abuse, and they say, you're out of here. You're leaving. I'm not starting the game again until you do. Twice with the other team, and unfortunately, once with ours, that parent and the kid aren't aren't still on our team. Yeah. But that's that's the most consistent, I think. When it gets to any level of physical um, threat or abuse, then you almost have to, the authorities almost have to be called in a situation like that, don't they, Johnny? Absolutely. In some cases, the police even. And that has, has, has yeah. happened. Um, but Greg, you're right. Uh, the majority, and there's hundreds of thousands of games in Ontario every summer. The majority of games go with no problem. Our referees are well-trained. They know how to de-escalate. They know how to communicate for the most part. And, and they do a great job. However, um, as you said, there's isolated incidents. And it's those isolated incidents, unfortunately, are the ones that we're trying to curb because they're the ones 
that are creating mm-hmm. problems and having an effect on our registration. Johnny, let's talk more about it as the as the spring and summer continues. The weather's great right now. I like it's just it, I love just driving past the field and seeing people enjoying themselves, especially after uh, those two summers in 20 and 21. Let's have more conversations about this. And I appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for uh, the spotlighting the issue. Thanks, um, 100%.